0: It really is its own world and its own industry. There's a saying, if you wanna play in the big leagues, you gotta work like you're in the big leagues. Once you're a dancer, you're always a dancer. And I feel like even once you're a dancer and you train as a dancer, if you end up being a CPA, you still see yourself as a dancer. My personal opinions on dance training is find your center, then you can go off your center.
1: Welcome to the Theatre Art Life podcast and hello! We're putting the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the globe, the culture
2: creators and the backstage masters. My name is Anna Robb. And my name is Anna Aguilera. On this episode we will be talking to Jill Williams about dance. Jill and Williams started dancing as a child and continued competitively at the age of nine.
1: She extended her dance education at the State University of New York in Buffalo, receiving her BFA as a dance major. Jill was awarded numerous scholarships and her professional dance career started with Disney Orlando. Jill continued as a New York Radio City Rocket for 10 years and has experience on Broadway national tours, regional tours, TV and film. She has performed and taught in the US, China, Japan, the UK, South Africa, Russia and Australia, Currently, she is the creative director, choreographer, and master teacher for Star Dance Alliance, co-director of the World Dance Pageant, and guest audition host for Royal Caribbean Cruise Lines. Jill has written two books in the Are You Ready? series, Dance Competitions, Are You Ready? and Dance, Are You Ready? for the Next Step. Jill, welcome to the show, and thank you for joining us.
0: Ladies, I'm so happy to be here.
1: (laughs) Finally, we meet in person. It's amazing. It is amazing. Yay. (laughs) <laughs> so you've had an com- amazing career in dance and I know you're also really passionate about teaching, but before we talk about what you're currently doing, tell us a little bit more about you, um, not in terms of your CV, but you know, how you got into dance, why you got into dance and your personal uh, journey through that.
0: I'm actually so glad that you just asked me that because while you were reading my bio, I was cringing because normally the advice, whatever I would give to someone is don't start talking about yourself when you're nine years old. No one cares when you're in the professional world. But the reason that I did that for this particular bio is because the way that my career just kind of took form, there was a full circle thing that I started dancing competitively as a kid. And then you know, 30 years later, ended up back in the same industry. So that I just wanted to clarify, that's why I I talked about myself as a nine-year-old in my bio, because that's just weird. Anyway, I uh, started dancing as a kid, as you know, in the competition world, went to dancing school, literally started at like, in in the States, they have a joke and they call it Dolly Dinkle dancing school. And that's what it was. It was tab shoes and ballet shoes and like grass
2: skirts and (laughs) hula hoops
0: and whatever. But anyway, I started there. And then, you know, obviously, as I got more serious, realized that I needed more ballet training and all the blah, 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 all the stuff. I ended up starting college. In the same town where I grew up, um, I was super fortunate to graduate from high school in three years, so I started college early. But I left college after two years. I was like, kind of like breezing through the department. I just couldn't wait to get out there in the world and be an artist. And and you know, I say that jokingly now because looking in retrospect, hindsight's always twenty twenty. I had all the time in the world, right? But anyway, just to finish college. But I did end up going back to college years later. But I digress. So I started in college. i my first job was at Disney World in Orlando. such a good gig for a beginning for a beginning job because it got me my union card, which in the states is super important if you want to, to audition for uh, union jobs, Broadway shows, you know screen work, whatever. but anyway, so I, I started dancing at Disney World and then I moved to New York because I just couldn't stand the possibility of me not being an artist and I wanted to I got to be honest with you, I wanted to roll in the dirt. I wanted to, you know, just not shower for weeks. I wanted to get my art on and I wanted to explore myself as an artist. And I wasn't doing that at Disney World. So anyway, so I moved to the city and I did that for a bit. and And I was really lucky to study a lot. And that's what's so cool about when you're living in a major city, you get to study while you're auditioning and working and doing all the other things. But then as come to find out, I could make a living in the entertainment world more than the art world. So I was had had enough training behind me that I was able to kind of transition to into that world of entertainment, did Broadway stuff, did Rockettes like you were saying. And then when I was like doing that kind of stuff, just literally just living the, the performer's life, that's when I would go to TV and uh, movie auditions and stuff like that, just because it's just like what you did, whatever, wherever there's an audition, you went there and, and I did that. But then um, while I was doing that unbeknownst to myself, I, was kind of setting myself up for the next chapter of my life, which was getting back into teaching and competition world and all of that. So while I was performing, I always judged dance competitions, taught conventions, taught workshops whenever I could. And then so after I was finished performing, more or less, you know, I feel like that for me, it wasn't like a cut and dry thing. When I left the city, I would go back and do another gig and then I would leave the city and go back and do another gig again because – the performing world is just just like is like a magnet there's like nothing like it it's just so fun but um i did go back and finish my bfa in dance and now as you were saying i went back to my roots and i'm back in the convention and competition circuit but i don't necessarily consider myself like i have arrived i consider myself an artist that's like okay now what else can i create for myself so
2: there you have it that's a lot <laughs> You've mentioned a couple of times artists and then, or the art world and then entertainment as two different things. What are the differences to you?
0: Okay, to me, I'm actually so happy that you asked me this because this has been kind of, there's two sides of the same coin. It's like, I'm I'm a dancer, but there's the side of me that's an artist that, I know that I need to feed my soul through dance and through dance education. And then there's a part of me that needed to make a living. And for me, that was the entertainment world. And there are, for some people, and there are some gigs that I have done that I felt like the two have merged. But for the most part, I had to like step out of my artist self and say, okay, what does the industry demand of me for me to get work? So I I had to view myself the way other people saw me, not the way I saw myself. So that's been an this has been an ongoing theme in my life. Arts versus entertainment. Arts, my heart, my soul, my passion. I, I still love dance. I still continue my education. I will always do that. And then the entertainment world, which was definitely so fun, and I'm so fortunate to be a part of. But it's an industry, and it, to me, it's like. There are specific industry demands and they don't care about how you feel and they don't care about what you think. You got to fulfill whatever it is that
1: they're asking. The, interestingly enough, I think that your approach and from the things that you've written for Theatre Art Life and the things that I know about you, you have a very practical application of the career. You know, So it's like, yes, you've got to balance that between doing the things that for feed your soul and also the things that are going to sustain you as, as a business. And I find that... I find that for artists a really, you know, great advice. I think we do that on the tech, you know, both Anna and I come from technical and more stage management backgrounds, but it's the same for us. I used to take jobs that were theatrically fun for me, but paid pittance and pennies. And then I would go do corporate gigs that would pay me the dollar to to live that. And in our careers, we tend to try and find that balance. And so in terms of things that pay an art can you just define for us a little bit you know so the rockets was like you what you could define as entertainment right and and things that are paying your salary and then what kind of projects have you done that you would consider the more artistic ones
0: definitely concert dance that i did in new york so i'm from the states and primarily my career has been in the states now i've been super fortunate to go and do jobs Internationally, but when I speak of the industry, I'm speaking mostly of the states. The jobs that are that I consider industry jobs that I can make a living doing provided me money to pay my rent, health insurance, which is a really big deal in the states. Depending on, I I don't know. I know that I do know that a lot of people wish to come to the states to work. That's not me saying that it's better by any means. It's it's a choice. So, but if you are in the state's health insurance, 401k, or unfortunately it, it is what it is, right? At least for right now and 401k and pension plans and all of those kind of things, those entertainment jobs are like exactly what you were saying is, is, is what prov- provided that for me. So then for me, my artistic jobs were mostly concert dance. I would be doing concert dance. And this is where I learned, it was a huge lesson for me because I was doing dance concerts downtown New York city that I was working with the artist that I respected the most. And I really felt like artistically, I was like on my game, but I realized that everybody in the audience was like a friend of someone in the audience, or maybe they bought a not very expensive ticket, maybe, or maybe it, they, maybe they were a patron, but they weren't people who were paying money to be entertained or escaped from what, you know, whatever their, their woes of life are. So for me, it was a form of concert dance, but that's where I learned. My version of that was that the people weren't paying money to come and see me do that. Whether it had, it had to do with me or, or not, it doesn't matter. But what, what I, that's where I learned just basically for me that concert dance wasn't going to pay my bills. Now, now that's not for everybody. That's my path. But I also saw myself differently. I'm 5'9", I'm busty, I'm blonde. I didn't see myself like that. I saw myself as a completely different artist. And when I started seeing how other people saw me I had to give up my passion just for three months at a time, six months at a time, a year at a time, to be able to support my passion through entertainment. But so to answer your question, through the uh, the contemporary dance, I would say.
2: And then you did have those few jobs that merge both your artistry and your passion and pay the rent.
0: Absolutely. I have to be honest with you. My passion kind of changed. First of all, I'm lucky that I'm easily amused because I truly love, dance and I love all forms of dance. I love ballet. I love contemporary, but I also I'm not afraid to love Disney World and I'm not afraid to love Dua Lipa and I'm not afraid to love Doja Cat. You know what I mean? Like I really truly love all forms of dance and you know pop culture. But those jobs for me that merged the two, I learned came through process. So I am a dancer. There a lot of dancers are product oriented, just bam bam get my leg there, do, do the choreography, but not necessarily, I don't really care about the classes or or working up to it or the collaboration that actually makes the final performance what it is. I love process. So it kind of morphed from my, da- my love for contemporary dance. I, I learned that I love the artistic process. Then that artistic process that I loved translated into the musical theater and into the world of entertainment because it was working with composer, working with a choreographer, working with, in many cases, a vocal arrangement, working with, as you, you guys have a great tech, technical backgrounds, working with um, lighting designer, all of those pieces working together and doing any kind of job, whether it's in the world of arts or entertainment, engaging in that process and the collaboration of working with different artists together, that kind of turned into my f- artistic fix. So it started in the contemporary dance world. And then when I, I was able to do a couple cool gigs that were like, oh, yeah, I really feel like this is an artistic industrial that I'm doing, which is also, you know, promoting a product, whatever. But that for me, it would be a merge. But then I learned that
1: my passion was actually process. I like that process as well. <laughs> then there's dance competitions. And what, what is the world of dance competitions, Jill? Tell us about that.
0: Okay. I feel like I am, a. I would like to think I'm a good person to be able to talk about this because number one, I very much know about it. My husband and I, we produce dance competitions. He's been doing this for 30 years and I've been working for him since two thousand. And it's 2020, so that's a lot of years of being in it, and I've been a contestant. So I feel like I've been on all sides of it, and I also think that I have a sense of humor about it. So this world, I really think for this time, point in time, snapshot of 2021, I really think that it's very American. I know that there are lots of dance competitions in lots of other countries, but I think it is like so... I don't want to say out of control. It is out of control. But it's also like perfect. It's perfectly like in control. The dance competition and convention world has kind of taken on its own entity. When I was younger, a hundred years ago, in the 1900s, it was there were like it was a little bit more like, oh, the dance competitions got you ready, and then you could audition and do this or whatever. Where the dance competition convention world is an industry in and of itself. I think it has styles that sometimes translate into professional work, but not always, in terms of what is hot and now in the convention world. Competitions, you can prepare any kind of style, you perform it, you're critiqued, you're scored, and it's kind of like um getting stage time. It's getting basically putting in your hours. If if you've ever read the Malcolm Gladwell book, Outliers, it talks about logging your 10,000 hours to becoming a master of some, of something, of a trade or anything.
1: Yes. I've read that book. It's, it's, it's a good one.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's your logging hours trying to, you know, perfect your art, but the dance competition convention world, the reason that I say it's its own industry is because the Clients, if you will, of that industry are small business owners and they're small dance studio owners. Now in the States, you don't need to have a degree to open up a small business dance studio. You don't, you don't need anything. You could have you could have no dance training at all and open up a dance studio. So already it's like a free-for-all mentality. So you've got dance studios of varying mission statements. Let's say that sometimes it's just like, hey, we want to have fun. And sometimes it's like, I want to train you to have get the best best, whatever that means to this teacher, jobs in the, in, in the industry and whatever. Um, so you've got all of these varying dance studios, and then they all come together. And what's funny about this industry, ladies, is that what sells in the competition convention world has to sell to the patrons of these small dance studios. So you if a small, a small business, which would be a dance studio, their clients are the kids and the parents. So those studio owners have to make those kids and parents happy. And the dance competition and convention industry, that's us, has to provide a product that makes those studios happy, which in turn makes the parents and the children happy. So I think that as you can see, it can get real funny. It can get real like it's almost product by demand, if you will. However, you do have your people that maintain the integrity, of dance training and also maintain the integrity of of what we love which is process but also i have learned to appreciate the product oriented kids dance teachers let's get this routine out there let's make it amazing let's do a dance convention all day we're not doing warm-ups we're not doing progressions we're just doing combinations in the classes it's not necessarily process it's learning styles I'm getting winded even talking about this. But anyway, I've learned to appreciate how product oriented it is. But as you can tell, I'm babbling, 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 because it really is its own entity that can survive without recording artists, hiring dancers that can, without Broadway, without cruise ships, without the modern and contemporary dance world. It really is its own world and its own industry.
1: No, I really appreciate the explanation because, you know, for somebody who doesn't sit, you know, globally for us that don't sit into it, the fact that you've kind of labelled it as an American product. And I think we got an insight into that when you watch things like Dance Moms and that's that's that reality show. And it's like, wow, is it really that intense, you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, totally. I- I've actually judged on dance moms a number of times, and yeah, it is. <laughs> I can't or I should say it can, it can be it, the th- the thing about it, and, and actually one of I, I wrote um two books that that you mentioned in my bio, and one of which is just for competition kids and and it talks about the healthy side versus the unhealthy side of competition. But I have to go back and say, apologize if i if I just des- describe it as American. I just see have learned that the more that I travel the more that I realized that the American way, you know, capitalism, ego, feed the ego, power. I, 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 that's, I think that because those words coincide with the American way. And like I said, America was built on ca- built on capitalism. And then along with all of these things, you know, and, and even like um, America being a very young country, by uh, by comparison to most other countries in the world, you know, were big and powerful and flashy and all of those things. So with that comes the ego and the power, which totally, in my mind, makes sense why all of these these kids in the dance competitions are ready to be the best. They want to win. We have the power. So when I say it's American, I definitely don't say it with any kind of ego. I actually kind of say it humbly in a way of like, I recognize that this can be crazy and so can Americans. And I can say that because I'm American.
1: No, and it, it's good to have that reflection, you know, after you've been around the world to see the differences. And a lot of the time on our podcast we talk about the cultural viewpoints of people and, you know, their their observations, especially with people who have travelled the globe. My experience with dance is, you know, I used to do the lighting for the what we call ballet season in Australia in one of the theaters, and all of the dance groups in the northern Sydney region would come together to do their dance show. But it wasn't a competition. It was just everybody having fun yeah a completely different expression than what you're describing to us, so that's really interesting for me. So tell me, in terms of those dance competition people, is their idea or their trajectory that they end up and go to the entertainment industry or into arts, or is it you say, is it such a separate entity that that's not necessarily what they what their pathway they desire their pathway to be?
0: That's actually a fantastic question and actually gives me the opportunity now to praise. The dance competition and convention industry because these kids, I say kids because the older I get, <laughs> that, you know, an 18-year-old and a 20-year-old is a kid to me now. But these kids are so talented and they have learned to be fearless. They have learned teamwork. They have learned that if I don't work hard, I will not get better. So I believe that these kids that are come through the convention and, and the competition world they have number one memories to last a lifetime. I I, I can't tell you. I, I'm sure you have friends that are dan. I know you have tons of friends that are dancers, and have you know your own memories of of being you know in the theater yourselves. They have a ton of memories and all of this like happiness and teamwork and all this stuff. But they've got this work ethic, and in my opinion, these people thrive in the world of arts and entertainment. They're ready to work. They know what it takes there's a saying, if you want to play in the big leagues, you got to work like you're in the big leagues. And most of the time, if you, if you are, I don't know if I should say raised a competitive dancer, but if, if you, your, you know, childhood experience is dancing competitively, you, you're primed, you're ready. You thrive in the professional realm. In my opinion, it's, it's just because they've learned they're It's almost like they're groomed for the professional world. Now, Back to the dance moms things, now you, we've seen kids burn out too. So that's the, you know, in my, in my book, Dance Competitions, Are You, are you Ready? Is that the, I have to think of a way. Is that the name of it? Yes, that's the name of it. In the book, it talks about, you know, finding that balance. And largely, to be honest with you, it has to do with the leadership and the guidance. It has to do with us, the convention teachers, the people who run the competitions, the adjudicators, the parents, the teachers. So they dictate the experience. But to get back to your original question, these kids are ready. I think they thrive. They thrive in the professional world.
1: I think it's really interesting to say that because usually dance teams work as a team, right? When in competitive dance, like it's not a solo competition. So you're, you're saying they know how to work as a team and they're competitive, which is very different to my experience working with ex-gymnasts who end up in circus because their competitiveness is an individual one. And so that dynamic when they get to the circus is not necessarily a positive experience because they're still competitive with their cast mates because of their gymnastic background, right? So it's interesting with the dance thing is because you've got groups, you still got to work as a team, whereas gymnasts are generally, even though they work in teams, I guess, but they're generally a solo thing. I find in my experience, and I worked 10 years in circus, is that gymnasts who came straight from Olympic sort of sports and stuff into the circus realm were very competitive and took a long time to adjust to the ensemble nature of a circus environment
0: well you know, i will have to say dance competitions if you, if you are a serious dancer in dance competitions now there are various levels of dance competitions in our Dance competitions at the Star Dance Alliance. We have a beginner, an intermediate, and an advanced level, just so everyone is comfortable competing. But generally speaking, like for example, the in in my bio, you were I was listening because I was like, oh, what have I done? Because you know, you do, when you you know, you just live your life, you forget what you've done. Because we're creative people, we're on to the next project. Who cares what we did ten years ago? One of the events that I co-direct is called the World Dance Pageant. That's all solos. And in this particular, it's a pageant, but it's, you know, it, it's not like, it, it's it's not for the week. <laughs> it's it's a pageant that that these kids take classes. They work together. They learn an opening number. Actually from, and we're so lucky we've got uh, Diego from Royal Caribbean that comes in and sets, the, sets our opening numbers. So to get back to what you are saying, in the dance competitions, if you're at a high level, you compete as a soloist and as a group artist. So that probably helps that by the way, I love the circus. You're never going to find someone who loves a circus like I do. So I'm so excited that you worked with these gymnasts that go into the circus. But it is interesting that a gymnast in particular, I mean, oh my gosh, just the tunnel vision of what they have to do. And, you know, oh, I can't even imagine doing anything after, you know, only perfecting you and yourself. So I imagine that that would be a difficult translation to make.
2: I'm very curious to hear how is your transition from competition to the school realm and then the professional world and then back to competitions because you you say those kids are ready, but were you ready? How did that help you?
0: Oh my gosh. Well, it helped me so much because I have been in their shoes. And also I once again would like to think that I have a sense of humor about things because when I'm quote unquote preaching to kids or giving seminars or whatever. I never would have listened to me back in the day when I was 18, 20 years old, I was listening to nobody, absolutely nobody. And that's why I feel like I'm a good person to talk to aspiring artists because I was, I had no interest in what anyone had to say because I knew that I wanted to move to a big city. I knew that I wanted to get work. I knew I thought I knew things, but I didn't, really didn't know anything, but my transition from the professional world back into the world of competition and convention was honestly easy because I did it as a kid. So I, I did it as a kid. So I knew what, what it was like to be stand in their shoes. And then also, like I was saying, when I was in between either doing jobs in between performing jobs, I would always go back and judge dance competitions because, uh, like I said, because I did it as a kid. And if i w- if I was gonna make money, supplemental income, which is like a big word in the in uh, you know, an artist vocabulary, life vocabulary, I was gonna try to do it in the world of arts and entertainment, in the dance world. So as opposed to being a barista at Starbucks, which is cool, or waiting tables or or attending bar, which is great money, or at least was in the city when I lived there. I always wanted to stay in this world. So the transition for me was easy. I was ready. And 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 I also, I like kids. You can't teach someone to like kids. You just can't. And 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 like we we are, you know, we ladies like process. You can't teach someone to like that. It's either like in your blood or you're not. So for me, it was super easy because I had the experience. And like I said, I was one of those kids that would listen to nobody. So I had a sense of humor. So for me, it was easy
2: and fun. And so when you... You were doing competitions and when you want to do your BFA and try to live in New York and do, how was that?
0: Oh gosh, <laughs> survival. Oh yeah, there's that. Okay. So I left college. I, I have to go back to my broken college career. I left college. I think I, because I started college a year early and I was able to um, Dance with a company in college and I placed out of a couple. It sounds like I was like, oh, so important and so good. That's not the way it was. It, it's just all of my circumstances amounted to this scenario. This is not like, oh, I was a child genius and I was such a this prodigy dancer. Not at all because I needed the college I needed the college education that I had for the first two years to grow up and also mature as a dancer because I was not mature as a dancer. So I'm saying this, but it it sounds like I'm trying to be some kind of way. I'm not. It's just how it happened. And in my hometown, I could make this happen. So when I moved to the city, like I said, it was all about survival. And that's when, like I said earlier, I had to start viewing myself in a way that other people viewed me. And that sucked as an artist because it's hard you are your product and as a perfectionist and as a dancer you are your own worst i shouldn't say you are i was my own worst enemy and dancers tend to be very hard on themselves so all we do is focus on our imperfections so you have to get out of your head see yourself the way other people might see you and then kind of perfect an industry none of which have to has to do with dance training none of which has to do with ballet class or hip hop class it's all of this other stuff that no one prepares you for, not too many places prepare you for this, which I would love to talk about that. Why, why is no one preparing us for paying our bills and figuring out how to live as artists? But anyway.
1: That's not uh, solely an artist issue too. It's also technicians and freelancers and everything. It's actually something that we that's come up quite often in, in, in institutions and, and training stuff and our discussions is like, why did no one prepare me for that? The business of being an artist or an, a technician.
0: Yeah. See, to me, a technician is an artist. Like uh, to me, you know, I mean, I feel like that, I mean, so I guess when I say artists, I'm definitely including technicians and I'm not happy to hear that other people suffer by any means, but I, I, what I do love is that we are a community of artists and technicians and all like, like this subject, obviously it, like you said, is across the board. A lot of people experience it. And a, I have to go back and, and tie in, you asked about getting the BFA in dance. There were two things that made me go back and complete my degree. One, I was reading a book before it was, gosh, I think it, woo, I'm dating myself. Before, I think it was before the first Obama election. And it was a book that divided our country into half. It was people who had degrees and people who didn't have degrees. And it was like very cut and dry. That's it. And I thought to myself, I am an intelligent, I would like to think I'm an intelligent person. I've risen to the top in my industry that I could as a performer, which to me is a great honor. And it came with with a lot of hard work. So I'm at the top of my industry, but I'm reading a book and I'm actually like in the bottom half of how this writer, James Carvell, his name was, um, saw Americans. So I thought to myself, you know what? I value education. I love process. I loved my teachers in college. Oh, I just love them so much. So I got back in touch with them and went back. And also at that point I was kind of mentoring younger dancers. And I, I, I do believe in, uh, at least in the States, I know that in Australia you have full-time program. It's very different than the collegiate education in the States. But anyway, I couldn't tell kids to stay in school and not have a degree myself. So two things that made me go back to school. I wanted to be Uh, in good standings according to how my country saw me, which I know sounds stupid, but at at the moment I was like, I want to do this. And also I was mentoring kids.
1: And when you talk about mentoring dance competition students now, I'm assuming that you talk to them about what your experience was with regards to how the industry sees you, not how you want to present yourself into the industry and, and capitalizing on that. And also probably taking care of yourself because in a competitive world, I mean, this must be, I'm stressed just listening to you thinking about that kind of world. I, I don't, it's definitely not for me. But how is that when you, when you talk to them, is that received well? Do you feel that it resonates with them? Do they hear you? How does that go when you're telling them about that real life experience?
0: I think it goes every possible way. I, I, I experience, when I say kids, I'm going to say I'm, I'm referring to aspiring professionals. I see kids that really get it. I see kids that are like not even paying attention. I see kids that never thought about it really to that extent because we're so focused on just getting good at dance. I see full spectrum. But again, I was that person that would pretend I'm listening and be like, okay, yes, I'm a good student, but like I was going to do what I was going to do. Now, good thing I was super self-disciplined, super motivated. I just, I wasn't very worldly. I wasn't very world smart. It wasn't, you know, people smart or whatever. Um, so it's received all ways. I think that some people get it. Some people don't. And I also think that people hear me and then five years later they get it. And I have a lot of people get back in touch with me later and they say, okay, let's talk about union versus non-union. Should I work union? Should I work non-union? Should I, what could jobs, how do I turn down a job? Um, I don't want to burn a bridge. How do I handle situations? So sometimes people hear it And then five years down the road, they reach out to me on Insta or wherever. So some good, some bad, some later.
2: Just going back a little bit of you've spoken of dance in so many varied ways and what really like what can be dance and how we approach it and how much we can take out of it. I I think it's very exciting. Anna was saying that um, people sit in in different ways from different countries and uh, the transition from dance to aerial work.
0: Once you're a dancer, you're always a dancer. And I feel like even once you're a dancer and you train as a dancer, if you end up being a CPA, you still see yourself as a dancer because it's a discipline, it's a training, it's something that's ingrained in you that you're, in my opinion, a dancer's approach is always going to be one of discipline, focus, integrity. I want to go back to, you use the word bridge and you use the word divide. And I think that there are, I would love to touch on that if that's okay with you guys about the bridge and the divide uh, in in the dance world. Um, I would just, uh, gosh, a month ago, I was judging international dance organization and um, it was, oh gosh, it was all groups and they were from mostly European countries, maybe some also from Canada and the United States. But going back to, you were saying the sensibilities and everyone's approach is different depending on your culture and your sensibility and sometimes even like just your sense of humor or your sense of aesthetic is so different from culture to culture which is so cool and that's a cool bridge especially when you have these organizations that can bring different cultures and sensibilities together and I know that uh theater art life you guys did an interview with Krista Monson and I feel like she's so great with this just bridging all you know all of the art, the, the sensibilities of the art world together, which is such a cool thing, but now I digress, but going back to, um, the divide and I may be taking a different approach on this word. I would love in America, at least this is just America to see more of a diverse world of entertainment. I feel like you've got your recording artists and depending on let's, let's say the mission statement of the recording artist, like obviously Cardi B isn't going to hire, you know, the New York city ballet to, you know, do something for, or maybe she will, I don't know because Lizzo did have some girls on point around her in in one of our awards show. But anyway, so you've got the, you, you have all of these worlds and I feel like in my opinion, I would love to see them more integrated. And in order to see them more integrated I do think that in America, I would love to see more funding for the arts in underprivileged communities or in in uh, school systems that are less affluent. So that's just my take on it. The more diverse, the better. And I think that in terms of actual production, that kind of diversity and merging different cultures and cultures in subcultures, also subcultures within you know, let's say the American culture, it, it it lies in the hands of the choreographers and the directors and the people who are conceiving these shows. And then we've got to get the education to those less privileged school districts out there. So that's my take on, on, on divide. I just would like to see more of a diverse dance world here, but that's my take and on America here. <laughs>
1: That's industry-wide, entertainment industry-wide, not just dance, you know, in all facets. Well, yeah, for sure. I mean, since Black Lives Matter and all of the things, I think we've been recently doing a lot of stuff on accessibility and disability and uh, it just shows how, much, how far we have to go also in an American sense, but also globally in terms of having the entertainment industry reflect real life, really, you know, and the diversity that you see on the streets. It would be nice to see that on stage as well, in my personal opinion. I have another question, which is kind of an offshoot discipline and preparedness and, and, you know, uh, competition and things. For you, how important is a ballet for dancers in training, how important is a ballet foundation to a dancer's training to you?
0: I'm a ballet advocate across the board for everybody in life. But I do have to, I wanna go back to something you said earlier, and then I wanna tie it into the ballet. You said earlier that my writing, and also in in particular my theater art life writing is a very practical approach. And the reason that I think my writing is a practical approach is because I had to learn that. That's what I had to learn. I I viewed myself as an artist and I, I was very disciplined, but I had to learn the industry and learn the business and learn how to survive. And that practical approach, I preach it because I had to learn it because I didn't know it. <laughs> so tying this into ballet, of course, my personal opinions on dance training is find your center then you can go off your center you know basically you have to have a structure and then it's then you can go off your structure in my opinion, working with children for a lot of years, it's easier to to have a structure before you don't have structure than it is to have a, a child who is all over the place, not structured then to bring them in. But dance world aside, forget about it. Okay, so let's say that you dance professionally until God willing you're 35. Okay, what are you gonna do for the next 60 years of your life? You know what I mean? Like you have this ballet training. If you get it when you're young and you learn how to work long, strong muscles in a therapeutic way. You have to have a good teacher, you've got to learn how to how to dance in a therapeutic way. So that, like I said, you're 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 building your muscles in a very specific, long, strong way. It stays with you for your entire life. And as a 45 year old or 50 year old, most likely you're not going to be going to ballet five days a week. You know, in your pink tights and whatever. You just life isn't worked out that way. So if you can get that ballet structure in when you're young, I just feel for the rest of your life you'll know how to work your body and you know how to care for your body. So it's almost like self care, Um, but for dance. For better, or for worse, I'm just a little old school, you know. Have your basics, have a foundation, have a platform to jump off of. It's going to pay dividends in the future. But you can't tell a kid that. Or you can't tell an aspiring professional that. You know, you got to live life a little bit long. Hopefully, that they they've got some good teachers to, um, you know, sound like me, like an like an old biddy that I am, saying, "Gotta hey, take your life class." But you do. You <laughs> you just do. <laughs>
1: I I ask you that question because it's interesting for me. I know nothing about dance technique or anything like that. But, again, having watched a lot of dances over my time with the circus, I can now tell somebody who's had a a ballet background over somebody who has not. And I think it's just if I notice it, then you surely notice it. And and is is that the reason why people should do ballet? Because I feel like I feel and, again, it might be just my opinion and I'm completely ignorant to this people that have that ballet background and that foundation, it's a great launching point for all of the other styles and it has that discipline and that line, the line, for me, it's about the line and the the way they hold their body from ballet feeds out to every other style of dance. Is that, am I right or am I wrong?
2: I think you can say it sometimes even in the way they walk and they move. Yeah. Grace and poise.
0: Absolutely. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. But I also a hundred percent, it is like, of course, I, I have a dance background, so it's very clear if you have ballet training or not. But let's be honest, people. It's a competitive dog-eat-dog dog world. There ain't nobody booking the jobs that don't have the ballet training. The end. There's too many people. There are too many dancers. You just can't. I think we'd be hard-pressed to find someone who disagrees with that, only because it's such a competitive world. And you know the, the kids and, and, and the artists are better and better and better and better with each passing year. So they, they just all have that training. So I almost think it's like it, not an option not to, but back to your point, absolutely line grace, the way you carry yourself poise. In, and, and I say integrity because to get those things, it doesn't come overnight. It's not a natural thing. It's not natural to do ballet people. It's just not, it's not easy. It's not fun. And It is fun. Once you can find that, like I said, how therapeutic it can be, or you get good, you get good training or whatever. But listen, I'm not kidding myself. This is, I'm not sitting here saying like, Oh, I'm a ballet dancer and I've had all of this ballet and it's so easy and fun. It's not, it's not easy. It's not fun, but you learn to appreciate the process and the journey. And then, like I said, it, it can be very therapeutic, but I'm no fool. It, it sucks. It's hard people, but you got to do it. It's a, it's a too competitive in, of an industry.
1: I think that's also, you know, I think in any job, there's aspects of it that you don't enjoy. I mean, I don't enjoy budgets at any point and yet I have to do them, you know? So and there's parts of other stage management that I really love, but, you know, I think for for, for dancers, ballet's the one that like, it's that pillar of must do, don't need to enjoy it, but I must do it, you know?
0: Oh, absolutely. You see people warming up for shows, especially if you are doing a show that is not like a one hit wonder. If you're not doing something for a recording artist, like let's say you're doing a Broadway show or you're doing a Cirque show or you're, I did Rockettes for a lot of years or you're on a cruise ship or in, but any show that you're doing the same show again and again and again, usually in the live entertainment, almost always in the live entertainment, you're seeing you, that ballet bar is everything. That's your foundation. That's how you're warming up. That's how you're keeping it together because if you don't keep it together, you don't get a paycheck. So I love that you that you use the word pillar. I'm going to use that. I love it. It is. It's a pillar.
1: You are very passionate about all of the aspects of your job, but is there a favorite uh, thing that you like about what you do?
0: Uh, what I love about what I do is at this po- stage of my career, that it's not repeating the same show every night, eight times a week. That it's, it, I love that I get to travel. I love that I get to meet new people. I love that I get to work with kids that, as I was saying earlier, they go out in the world. And then, then what I also love is that, once they're 18 years old, I mean I don't treat them as if I'm up here and they're down there. I very much treat these kids as, "Hey man, you're the future." You know, I I respect you because the future of dance is in their hands and I totally get that. You know, so I love the travel, I love meeting new people and I love that there's just constant new places, new jobs, new uh choreography to set. I set a lot of choreography. I just love the newness of it all and I love that and I also love when people come together and work together who have never met each other before that particular point in time. I think that that's something really special that, that dancers leave their nest egg or whatever and then come and work with me. It's just a really cool, special thing to see. So I think that, those, I think that that's it. The, the people and the traveling and the, ma- the magic. I love the magic. I love the process.
2: Process. I love that you keep coming back. We also love the process. (laughs) (laughs) So, if you could change uh, something, would you? What would you change?
0: Oh, lordy! You know what? I I would change, and I I'm going to rephrase this. I am going to change that young aspiring professionals are not prepared for real life going into the industry so when i say that i'm going i I, i'm committing myself i just said it out loud i don't know if if i will uh, conceive and develop more workshops or if i will get my own institution together whatever that that means i want young professionals to be more prepared to thrive so they're not spending half their time in therapy or crying to their mom on the phone when, when things don't go right or, or they don't have cash or whatever it is, I want young aspiring professionals to be prepared and to be confident. And that is one of the things that I would like to change. I mean, we could talk all day, right, ladies? I mean, I feel like we can all have a thousand things, but that is one thing that I am most passionate about. Like, wh- like we were saying earlier in this podcast, how come someone didn't tell me how how I could plan my budget or how I can plan for the future or how I can set myself up for the next job while I'm working on this job without taking away my focus on this job? You know, like all of those things. I, I want more people to be better prepared.
1: That's a wonderful mission. Absolutely. So tell us where the audience can get your books and see more about your work or get in touch with you.
0: Oh my gosh. Uh, My two books, of course, are available on on Amazon, Dazzle Distributors, and also at Stardance Alliance events. Um, My books are available in person. But I, once again, dancers most likely are not reading. (laughs) So for a dancer to sit down and read, it, we can't stand still. I get it. So that said, I'm starting to do more, like this is a podcast, more content. I'm going to be putting more content out there. Jill Wolins, 33 um, on Insta. I'm on Facebook. And anything anywhere that there's a Stardance Alliance event, you can go to stardancealliance.com, stardancealliance.com. And that's worldwide, of course. And starpowertalent.com. And anything that's Stardance Alliance, there's a bunch of events. I'm affiliated with every single one of them. So if there's no, a Stardance Alliance event, I am there. And especially if it's educational, I've got something to do with
1: it. Amazing.
2: Great. Thank you. And also in theater art life, right?
0: Oh my gosh, absolutely. I am obsessed with theater art life because just like we're talking about the process and merging these aspects of the industry and, and these artists and technicians that I have such a tremendous amount of respect for. The fact that that theater art life can bring this world together and help us help each other and help ourselves and introduce us to other aspects of the theater, art world and entertainment. It's just, there's no other place like it.
1: And we're so happy to have you part of the gang, Jill. It's wonderful. And yeah, so thank you so much for uh, uh, talking to us today and, and being on our podcast. Oh, thank you ladies for having
0: me. And I honestly, it's an honor.
2: We would love to hear from you, our listeners, on who you would like us to feature on this podcast or what topics fascinate you. There is a link in our podcast description where you can send us your requests and guest nominations. Theatre Art Life provides regular monthly webinars and podcast episodes for free. If you have the means, donations can be made via a link in the podcast notes. We would be thankful for any support you can give us. You can learn more about Theatre Art Live, the global media site for entertainment at www.theatreartlive.com and you can follow us on all social media platforms. We want to thank David Sire for composing the music for our podcast. We are your hosts Anna and Anna and this is the Theatre Art Live podcast.